If you have your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 4. And we've been talking about the Lord's blessings upon His people. We've been talking about how He provides for His people. We've been talking about His promise of not just giving us barely enough of what we need, but the hundredfold response. The way the Lord that continues to, He promises to continue to pour out His blessings upon His people if we trust and obey Him. He pours out His blessings on those who obey Him and follow Him and trust His commands. He pours out curses upon those who reject His law. And if you just look around in the world in which we live today, we can see those things play out clearly true over and over and over again. I mean, I hate to use a fast food franchise as an example, but let's do it. Why not? Chick-fil-A was founded fundamentally by Christians. Maybe they're not anymore, but one of the most successful fast food franchises in the world per location is the Christian Chicken Place. And what do they do? They close on Sunday. They keep the Lord's Day. Amen. Amen. And we can see those who have, have chose to reject God's laws over and over again deteriorate. In fact, so entire societies do so. So we want to hold these commands close to heart. We want to follow them and obey them because God promises that he pours out blessings upon those who keep his commands and curses upon those who do not. And I don't know about you, but I would prefer blessings over curses. Amen? Amen. Okay, so Philippians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 10 through 13 together, and then we're going to discuss it. I rejoiced greatly, excuse me, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and that you're good. I pray that you would teach us and instruct us this day, that we'd hold fast to it, that we would trust it, and that we'd love you more as a result of that. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Today we're talking about godly contentment. Now, when we say that, when we talk about godly contentment, there's a lot of front-loaded ideas that go into folks' brains, like I should just be happy no matter what my circumstances are all the time. I have news for you. That's not what this means, okay? That's stoicism, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Some people believe that this means that I should only ever be even keel, and nothing is ever throwing me one way or the other direction. That's not true. Jesus wept, and Jesus rejoiced and celebrated. He had highs and lows in life as well. But the point that we need to be understanding is that Jesus also never sinned, which means in the midst of his weeping, of his sorrow, of his angst, of his fear, and of his joy, he was content. How? That's what we're talking about. But before we get into all that, I want to make something very clear. Discontentment with your life, only discontentment, will destroy you. It will. As you sow and as you reap, if you run into the temptation of discontentment along the way, remember we talked about that, how there's this period of time between your sowing and your reaping, the, the period of time where you're like, let's have a family, and then you have a kid, and you realize how much work it is to just keep that child alive, right? And then it continues over the next however many years, and you think, will I ever sleep again? The answer is yes, in 20 years. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and don't think it stops when they're teenagers, because it doesn't. 
you still have sleepless things to deal with. If you run into the temptation of discontentment in that season between sowing and reaping, it can blow up everything you've tried to accomplish. It can ruin all the trajectory, all the potential that your life has because of that simple sin of discontentment. Look at the example of Israel in the wilderness. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. I'm going to read it. You can just you know, write it off to the side, but you can listen to me read it. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. He's talking about Israel in the wilderness here. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. We must not grumble, as some of them did, and we're destroyed by the destroyer. This is why the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Without contentment, there is sin. And then there is therefore, as we saw there with Israel in the wilderness, there is judgment and there is loss. This is a tricky little subject that we need to get through and get through it well and get it driven down deep into our hearts and be a church that is known for our contentment. But listen to me, it's not as easy as you might think to define it. Here's what I mean. Whenever Israel was in Egypt, did God want them to be content? Well, yeah, because He wants us to be content in all things, brought low and brought high. But He didn't want them to be content and so that they stayed in slavery forever. So the answer is both yes and no. Whenever Israel was walking through the the wilderness, did God want them to be content? Well, yes, because one of the things that he kept dealing with them is like, I'm giving you magic bread from heaven, water out of rocks, and meat that just shows up when you're hungry, and you're still complaining? But he didn't want them to be so content that they didn't move forward anymore. Do you see? It's a yes and no type of response. See, it gets a little tricky. Here's what I'm trying to say. This might be a little controversial, but you're going to be all right. Listen close. A holy contentment has a little bit of discontent inside of it. Listen, this is important for you to get. A holy contentment has a a little bit of of discontent inside of it. In, In other words, you're full and provided for today but you're hungry for tomorrow. You're ready, to, you're ready to move forward in life. You're ready to continue building and advancing. See, if all you are is content with where you are right now, what does that mean? You don't do nothing, right? You just sit and you wait for, as Martin Luther says, the chicken to fly into your mouth. And that's not what Jesus or Paul or any of the scriptures would have for us. There's a little bit of discontent mixed in to a holy contentment. You're happy, you're satisfied, but tomorrow has new opportunities. You see? You're happy. You're content with exactly where you are today. The Lord has me here right now, but I see opportunity on the horizon. I see a direction, a trajectory, an opportunity, a place to move, a place to grow, a place to thrive. But right now where I am today, the Lord has me. I think this must have been Joseph's secret whenever he was in the prison. And somehow he was so good at being in prison, he became in charge of the prison. Would that be said about us? I feel like if we got locked up for unjust reasons, we would just be in despair, right? I can't believe this has happened to me. Woe is, my life is over. That's not what Joseph did. Joseph was like, no, I'm going to be in charge. Let's go. I own this prison now. You work for me, warden. You know, like that's some, he had a holy contentment with where the Lord had him, but he had aspiration. He had direction. There was something that that he was reaching for in his life. 
Contentment isn't static. Contentment is is going somewhere. Think of it like um, one of the things that we do every now and then as a family is we'll, we'll take a walk in our neighborhood. And as we're walking, we're having a great time. There's flowers. Yay. You know, well, we've had a drought, so there's no flowers. Yay. It's not quite like that right now. But we were joking yesterday as we were driving around the car, kids, look at the fall colors. No, all the trees are just dead from the drought. So it's not, we don't have fall colors yet. We have fall, we've had fall colors since June. <laughs> it's been awesome. But as you're, as you're out there enjoying going for a walk, maybe you got a little tune on your lips that you're whistling along the way, you're enjoying the nature around you, you're content, you're happy, but you're moving somewhere. Are y'all following with me here? Think about it in those terms. You're content, you're happy with what you're doing, but you're still headed somewhere. Contentment isn't static. Contentment is moving in a direction. There's a, there's a trajectory. It's not stoic, okay? Stoic is, oh, I don't care. You, ever, you, you have any friends like this? Maybe this is you, actually. So just listen close. Something terrible happens in your life. Man, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. No problem. Everything's fine. I'm content in the Lord. Anger raging in the back of your brain. I am content in the Lord, right? That's not contentment. Jesus wept. Jesus flipped tables. Jesus beat people with whips. Jesus had conflict and controversy that he dealt with. Contentment is not this Zen Buddha monk that sits on a mountain and never feels anything ever. That's not Christian contentment, okay? Christian contentment is is an understanding, this is what the Lord has for me in my life right now, and I receive it with joy. Yes, thank you, Lord. Here we go. It's bad. It's a rough trial, but God, you're going to do good things with it, and I'm looking forward to tomorrow because I know your promises renew every day, and you have a plan not for my harm, but to prosper and advance me throughout life. See, that's good. That's what Christian biblical contentment is. Stoicism is, I don't care. I don't have any feelings. I'm unmoved by the world around me. That's dumb. Stop that. Don't. That's not you. That's not Christian, okay? To detach yourself from all of the emotions and highs and lows that even Jesus experienced, that stoic disposition towards life, is not a Christian understanding of contentment. And I think we've confused it with such. First off, obviously, it's just not true. For the folks that I talk to that are going through very difficult times in their life, I'm like, how are you? Fine. Okay. Well, you just lost your job. Some of your family members might hate your guts right now, and your kids feel abandoned by you. Let's ask the question again. How you doing? Fine. No, you're not. Okay. All right. Here we go. We're going to, I'm going to camp out here. We're going to talk for a couple hours, and then eventually we're going to get to the point where you're not fine. But that's okay. I love you enough to do it. But that's not a Christian disposition. I don't care. I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's just not true. You definitely do care when things are hard. Can we just all agree that that's true together and say yes and amen to it? When things are hard, you care. (laughs) You do care. Stop lying to yourself and to others. You're a human being. You definitely care. You're just manipulating yourself into believing that you don't care. No, I'm tough. Let's see, for men, we we, I don't feel anything because I'm a man. that's That's not true. That's because I've watched some of you guys watch LSU football games, and you definitely feel things at certain times. I've seen it happen, okay? It's a true fact. But we need to understand that to operate that way whenever we're going through trials or difficulties or joyful things, if we're operating just right here, beep, that's not a Christian disposition. Contentment does not mean stoic. You're a human. You have desires and hopes and goals, and to the degree that you reach those desires and hopes and goals and you don't, you respond by feeling a certain way about it. That's the way human beings work. Contentment, contentment 
seize a, let's say, y'all, if you have family heirlooms, those are always special, aren't they? And some of y'all have inherited certain family heirlooms from other family members, and it's, it's cool to have them. You know, you've got them hanging on the wall somewhere. You've got them in the china cabinet. Maybe it's in the shop or something like that. And then one day, because you have children and you're obeying the command to be fruitful and multiply, one of your children shatters one of the family heirlooms on the ground. Contentment sees a broken heirloom like that that's been handed down for generations, and you're sad about it, right? Man, I'm bummed that this happened. But you also know that it's not the end of the world because there's even greater heirlooms that you can continue to lay up for your family and lay up as treasure in heaven itself. You don't have to despair, in other words. See, that's godly contentment. That's godly contentment with it being great gain. Contentment, Christian contentment, sees a death and mourns it, right? There was this disposition for a little while that, that Christians should be happy when people die. That's weird. Okay, that's strange because death is a part of the curse, right? And so our, our natural response to something that is unnatural, which is death, should be one of mourning. That's the correct response. David mourned. Jesus wept. They, they had emotional, experiential responses. That's normal. But contentment mourns in the loss and rejoices at the reunification of the future. You see? At the restoration of all things. Contentment is not just only ever the stoic disposition of I am only happy all the time. Contentment sees the world around us in disarray and confusion and has the answer for all that will listen and obey God's promises. You see? That's contentment. Contentment is not just this weird disposition of I only have to be happy, clappy, or even keel all the time. It's much, much more than that. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Let's walk through this text together, and I'll kind of show you some stuff. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have received your cons- uh, and you have received revived, excuse me, your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, if, if you're reading in other translations, this is ESV that's up here on the screen. But other translations do a little bit better of a job making that first phrase make sense. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. But what you're actually missing there, if you have a different translation, like uh, King James, I think, gets this right, uh, and a few others. It doesn't say, I rejoiced in the Lord. It says, I was made glad, meaning there was a change. There was a transformation that happened in the disposition of Paul. I was made glad, meaning Paul's saying he was sad, but now he's not. But in his sad, he was still content. You see that? There's a little bit of discontent that's mixed in to holy contentment. There's a little bit of the world is broken. Yes, because curse in the fall. Sin exists. Yes, there are issues in the world around us. Yes, there's a little bit of discontent in your contentment because your contentment hangs on the promises of God. He was sad, but now he's not. But in his sad, he was joyful and content. If content means that you're happy and full all the time, then what would happen for you when God unfolds his plans for you and they blossom and you see them manifest? You would still just be happy and content all the time. You wouldn't rejoice. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, so you're at the bottom valley of your life. Everything is falling apart and your disposition is like happy-go-lucky, skipping, flying a kite, holding a balloon, petting a puppy in the park, okay? Like worst thing ever is happening to you in your life. 
And then God uses that awful, terrible thing and brings you to the mountaintop and shows you how it was a part of his good plan for you all his life. If you were only ever leaping for joy the whole time, you have no change in response to life and the goodness of God. Do you follow with me here? He brings us low to teach us, and he brings us high to teach us. And all the while he's saying, be content. He's not saying, happy-go-lucky, pet a puppy, hold a balloon, fly a kite level stuff 24-7. That's not what he's talking about. Godly contentment sees where you are right now, wherever that may be, and looks to the future of how God promises it will get better. You see? I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I was made glad. There's no disconnect here. There is a discontent mixed in with the godly contentment. Things are wrong, but God makes promises, and I trust them. And then you see those promises come true. That's the cycle of life, right? Things are off, but God makes promises, and I trust his promises. And then one day you see his promises come true. Amen? One day you, you pour into your children again and again and again and again and again the fear and admonition of the Lord. You teach them the scriptures as much as you possibly can. And then one day they get it. Boom! Fruit! Yes! <laughs> they understand! It happened! The Lord did it! See? There's a swing. There is a little bit of discontent mixed in with that godly contentment. That's what I mean. There's discontent in the content. Let's think about it like this. Idolatry. God is not going to let you have an idol the way that you want to have an idol because he loves you. Amen? Let me say that again. God is not going to let you have an idol the way that you want to have an idol because he loves you. Because an idol is what? What's the thing about an idol? If I just had, I would be happy. That's it. That's what idolatry is, right? If I could just have a, whatever it is, if, if, if I don't know, certain cars, certain things, certain objects, a, a, a better spouse, a, a, a better job, a whatever it might be, if I just had this, everything else in my life would be perfect and I would be happy. That's an idol right? Because God has you exactly where you are right now for a purpose that he has designed and put for you in your life for his glory and your good, period, full stop. The Bible says that. And you can trust his promises. He says it no matter what. But if you have this idolatrous heart, if I just had this one thing, I would be happy. God's not going to give you that because it, it would kill you. If you're trying to find content in something other than God, then what's God going to do? He's not going to let you have it the way that you want to have it. Now, he might give it to you, right? You ever had that happen before? If I just had whatever it is, then I would be happy. And then God gives it to you. And you're like, this is terrible. <laughs> this is not This is not what I thought it was. People do that with career all the time or new places to live or new whatever it might be. If I just had this then I'd be happy. And God's like, okay, there you go. How you feeling? Terrible. I told you. <laughs> I was trying to help you. And you wouldn't listen. Now listen, he's either not going to let you have it or he's not going to let you have it the way you want to have it. 
Sometimes he does let you have it and let you see just how bad it was to get your heart's desire. Don't let that happen. Let's go to the next verse. That was Philippians 4.10. Let's go to verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, he clarifies here that he, he was content, but then he had joy. There's a little bit of the discontent inside of that content, but it's all oriented around God and his provision for your life. See, that's it. The things that you walk through, the difficulties that you walk through, the trials that you go through, God says, I'm here to help. I have you here for your good, my glory, and I have a good plan, and it's going to be okay. That's the promises of God. He has a little bit of discontent, but your disposition towards him is to say, Lord, I trust your promises, and I'm going to follow you. You are the creator and sustainer of all things. You have ordained this since the beginning of time, and I will follow and trust and obey. There's a little bit of discontent in the content, but it's all centered around God and his provisions. Go on with me to verse 12. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Okay. Now, we're going to hang out here for a minute because there's some very important stuff for us to get. But let me just go back to the beginning real quick and make sure we've got everything up to this point. Godly contentment is great gain. Amen? And God would command his people to be content. But content does not mean that you're just stoic or only ever happy all the time. There's a little bit of discontent inside of the content because God is wielding that to send you on a trajectory of your life. Contentment is summed up by you trusting God's promises for your life, okay? That's what contentment really means. I know that the Lord has me here in this season for a good purpose, and I trust him in all things, and we're going to move and shake, and it's for my good and his glory, okay? That's what to be content in the Lord means. Okay, now go back to verse 12 with me, and let's hone in close. I know how to be brought low. This is Paul. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. It's the secret of contentment. But I want you to pay very close attention here. Where did he learn it from? He didn't learn it from a book. He doesn't say that. He didn't learn it from a class that he took. He doesn't say that. He says, in any and every circumstance, I have learned. What does that mean? Paul has been taught contentment through his life. Through God's sovereign control over Paul's life. That's where God has taught him contentment. Why am I going through such a hard season in my life right now? Because God has a plan for you, a plan to care for you, a plan to prosper you, and a plan to bring you through it for your good and his glory, period, full stop. That's it. He will bring you to the other side of the trial that you are in, in one way, shape, or form, or another, and it will be for your good and the ultimate culmination of your joy, no matter what. Your life 
is what teaches you contentment in the Lord. It's the instrument that God wields on his people to burn away the dross. The trials and afflictions that you endure come for a good purpose. You want to learn how to be content? Bruh, you better be careful praying that prayer. God, teach me to be content. Hold on. (laughs) You ready? Because he's going to teach you. And it's going to be great. And it's going to be hard. And he's going to bring you through trials. And He's going to bring you through moments of affliction and pain and suffering. And He's going to bring you to mountaintops. Amen. Because He's teaching you. You see, our mistake is when we make life all about our joy right now in the moment. Right? Life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. See, I think they screwed that up in the declaration. Because that little disposition got ingrained down into the fiber of every human's being. When, when we became an individualistic society, we decided my personal happiness trumps all things. And anything that threatens my personal happiness, my personal joy in every moment of the life is a threat to me. Which is why we kill our babies in the womb now. You see? You see how quick that jumps happens. But God sends you trials and hardship and difficulty because He wants to grow you. You see? Because He wants to teach you how to be content. That's the point. That's it. And so if every time a trial comes into your life and you run from it and you lean away from it and you try to escape it, no, no, not this, not this. You're doing it wrong. He sent you that for a good purpose. Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Let's go. Let's go. Lord, please help me to just learn this lesson one time. I got a text like that from somebody this week. They were like, hey, how do I make sure that I just learned this lesson the Lord's teaching me right now and I don't have to learn it again? (laughs) I'm like, amen. (laughs) That's a great disposition. Lord, teach me this time. (laughs) I want to graduate this class this time, right now, please. (laughs) Because the truth is, he will take you through the course as many times as you need for your good and his glory. That's it. Godliness with contentment is great gain, and he will teach you contentment through your life. Now, let me flip this a little bit. God's going to send you good times and hard times to teach you to be content. He's going to send you mountains and valleys to teach you contentment. He's going to send you the peaks and the lows, the good and the bad, to teach you to always trust His promises and that they are true. He's going to do that again and again and again and again. If you're looking just for joyful comfort only ever all your life, it will not happen, okay? God's going to send you mountains and lows and all those good gifts to teach and train you. But let me flip it, okay? Here we go. This is why. It is important as Christians when we see our brothers and sisters going through suffering and hard times in the Lord that we don't just sprint in and try to fix it. Did you hear me? I need you to listen because this is hard, but I need you to hear it. This is why when we see our brothers and sisters in the Lord suffering, dealing with difficult times, difficult hardships, that is obviously the providence of God, that we just don't rush in right away and try to take all the pain away from them, right? To try and take all the suffering away from them. We want to be this, it's like we want to be this cushion, this buffer between them and the providence of God. 
No, dude. Don't do that. Don't, you got to turn that white knight off, okay? You got to turn that off. Don't rush in and try to take all the, all the difficulty, all the hardship, all the pain, all the suffering away because God has appointed it for that brother or sister in the Lord for such a time as this, and they need it. Do you hear me? Now, the Bible gives us very specific commands to care for the poor, which we don't really have poor people anymore. All right, let me just, okay, just listen. We're going to get through this together. When I say that, here's what I mean. In the context of the Bible, when they're talking about poor people, do you know who they're talking about? People who are starving to death. We don't really have that. There's not a lot of people out there in the world who are literally starving to death. I'm not saying that there's no one in our country because there are people that that does happen to. But it's very, 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 very rare. Okay? But we are called to care for the poor. That's true. But that doesn't mean whenever somebody finds themselves in a situation where they might get their car repoed, you rush in to save the day. The Lord is teaching them in that moment, you see? And maybe, I don't know, get the advice of your pastor, bring in some elders on board. Hey, this is a situation they find themselves in. Should we help them out? Like, what should we do? I don't, well, let's use some wisdom and discernment. But our gut reaction to rush in and prevent the providence of God from teaching someone something important is bad. Don't do that. Don't do that. Bring your pastor in on the conversation. Bring your elders in on the conversation. Let's think through this together and see what the right application to do. The Bible makes it very clear that Christians are to provide for widows, right? Amen? For widows and orphans. That's, that's some of the, the highest religion in the Bible, okay? But, but the Bible also says, what, what should a widow do if she can? Say it again. Get remarried. <laughs> that's what it says, Right? We don't, create a, we don't create a system where we just only ever hold people up all of their lives. We send them on to go and be fruitful in other areas insofar as they can. If they have the opportunity, they should take it. But this is why it's important that when somebody is going through it and you get that big urge to rush in and fix everything for them, you restrain it a little bit. Why? Listen, because you make a terrible Savior. Amen? You make a terrible Savior. You are bad at it. Jesus is not. And Jesus is doing something in that brother or sister's life very intentionally and very purposefully, and you should let him work. Maybe you should get involved. I don't know. Weigh your pastor in. Bring some other people in. Talk to the elder board. Let's see what we could do. Maybe there is a thing that we should be engaged with here. Maybe we could figure it out. But we've got to resist the urge to rush in and just fix everything. And you need to fight it a little bit. Don't want to be their savior. They've got a better one in Christ, a far better one than you could ever be. You want to serve the poor? You want to help them. But those in Christ going through trials are going through a trial for a grander purpose. A grander purpose. I'm not saying don't counsel with them. Bring the Bible to them. Preach the Word to them. But don't try to build this insulary bubble around them to where none of the pain and suffering that they're going through is able to have its proper right effect. Do you see? What do I mean by that? All right, let's talk. Let's get, let's get in at deep detail for just a moment. You see somebody who maybe is not a believer in Jesus going through it in their life. They're entering into this enormous, an enormous trial. They're questioning everything and they don't know where to go. And you, as a, as a believer in Jesus, you walk up to them and you say something along like, hey, what's going on in your life? And they're saying, oh, everything's falling apart and I, I don't have anything and I'm losing this and my family hates my guts and all these different things. And you let them speak to you and you talk to them and you can have an easy moment to say, well, let me talk to you about this cool thing that I learned about contentment whenever you follow Jesus. 
Contentment teaches that God sends trials on his people every way, every day for a good purpose and a good reason to grow them in according to him. And if you follow Jesus, he makes a very clear promise that every difficult thing that you ever go through in your life is used for your good and his glory. Isn't that good news? Maybe you should follow him. Amen. High five. Roll on. See, you have those opportunities. And we, as God's people, should take them. Serve the poor. Yes. Help them. Sure. But those in Christ going through trials are going through trials for a grander purpose. And if we step in and try to save the day every time somebody goes through suffering, we're not helping them. We're hurting them. It's more than we might be. We probably are. Do you see? This is very important. And I understand that this might be a little odd to hear. But this is what's true. The Bible says that God teaches his people through difficulty. So we must be a people who can discern enough to where we, when we see somebody walking through difficulty, we don't sprint in and try to take it all away. We sprint in with the word of God and we ask questions like, what do you think the Lord's teaching you right now? And we dig deeply in the one place that true contentment can be found. You see? I'm going through a financial problem. Sweet, here's $10,000. Guess what somebody who doesn't know how to manage money well is going to do with $10,000? Not manage it well. And then they will be in the same exact situation they will be in a month. But what you could say, hey, I'm in a bad financial situation. Hey, well, let's talk. Maybe the Lord is trying to teach you how to trust him. Maybe the Lord is trying to teach you how to be a good steward over his resources. Maybe the Lord is trying, do you see what I'm saying? Maybe the Lord is trying to teach you that you need to go to work. Maybe the Lord is trying to teach you that you need a better job. Maybe the Lord is trying to teach you that you just need to work harder. Do you see what I'm saying? All of those things are there. But if you just rush in and say, here's a thousand dollars, what are you really saying? I'm your savior. And you're a bad one. But instead, what if we went in and said, what's the Lord showing you? See, it's completely different. Don't hurt them, help them, and help them see the providence and protection and provision of the Lord in the difficulties that they walk through. Don't try to insulate everybody when trials come. Instead, bring the word and see that they grow. Let's wrap this bad boy up. Verse 13, the often most misquoted and misunderstood verse in the Bible. You ready? Here we go. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It does not mean that. <laughs> I remember one time I was a, I was somewhere, and they had a football game that night. I think it might have been a Christian school or something like that. And the kid was like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they played, and they got destroyed that night. <laughs> and I was like, well, not all things. <laughs> That's not what that means. This is what we need to learn. God is not saying that you can literally do anything because Jesus gives you magic superpowers. But what he is saying is that he will bring you through it. Do you see the difference? It's not magic superpower, Jesus. It's he will bring you through it. It's not you will never go through a difficult season or a hard time in your life. It's that he will hold your hand and walk you through it. And on the other side, you will be made better for it. And in the midst of it, you will be made better for it. So, trials, joy-filled seasons, feast, famine, all of it is used to teach us. 
to teach us contentment. All of it. Sickness, health, in, in years of many and in years of want. It's all used to teach us this secret joy of contentment. So here's the question. You ready to learn? <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> Be careful. But if you are ready to learn, then live. Then orient your life to Christ and live. He's teaching you now. He's teaching you right now. In whatever moment that you are living in today, in the highs and the lows, whatever it is, right now He has written your story in this exact moment for your good and His glory. Whatever it is, lean in. Trust Him. Receive it with joy. He's teaching you now. Don't miss it. Grow from it. And may we be a people with joyful contentment in the midst of our highs and our lows. Let's pray.